I'm Jonathan Brown. I'm a deacon here at South Cliff Baptist Church. And uh, what a great morning it's been so far celebrating Dr. Marr and Tanya being here 25 years. Um, you know, I know all of us feel this way to some extent, but um, except for my own father, Dr. Marr has had more of an impact than any other man on this planet in my life. And I know we're all very appreciative of that. Um, and we're so thankful for his 25 years of preaching that we got somebody else to do it today. And so um, I, I'm here to introduce our guest speaker. Like Elliot said, some of you may have recognized him from a long time ago. He was clean shaven then. I think facial hair is some requirement for doctors or something around here. But uh, I'm here to introduce Dr. Spencer Plumley. I joked with him and told him I was going to light a lightsaber and uh, blow a shofar for his introduction, but I'm not doing that. Um, his uh, Spencer is, uh, Dr. Spencer, is the senior pastor of First Baptist Mansfield. His lovely family, his lovely wife Shelly, Seth, Noah, Paige are all here, his children. Um, I've known Spencer a long time. He, uh, I didn't know him when he was youth pastor because I didn't have any kids, but uh, him and Shelly were in our class. He taught our class. We became friends. Spencer's my movie-watching buddy. Um, I know that he would guest preach sometime when Dr. Marr was out. Uh, a buddy of mine in the choir joked and said they were going to play the theme from Superman when Spencer came out to preach, but Spencer was like, no, no, don't do that. So they never did do that. But uh, he would guest preach, and uh, in 2017... Um, well, before that, um, Spencer's had an impact on my life in a few ways uh, that I won't ever forget. And in 2011, when my own father passed away, uh, I did one of my first speaking engagements was eulogizing him at his funeral. Spencer not only helped me figure out what to say and helped me with some of that, he got a group of my friends from my class, and they came to Deep East Texas to the funeral before, when I was a little nervous up there, fixing, if you can imagine me being nervous, fixing the talk, I see Spencer out in the audience give me a little nod, and it just really made a lot of difference, and I won't ever, ever forget that. Uh, and then a few years later, Spencer even helped uh, share the gospel and talk to my young son, Connor, as he was on his journey to become a Christian, become a believer, and use that youth pastor way to do that, to point him to Christ. And uh, in 2017, we both got to go to Israel with Dr. Marr and uh, the South Cliff on a fun trip. Trip, and Spencer and I roomed together, and uh, after that, I went to seminary, and Spencer helped mentor me through seminary to get my master's degree. And you would think in all this time, uh, when we're in Israel, uh, in, in a hotel room, that we'd have deep theological conversations. No, we watched Three Stooges clips on uh, YouTube TV. So, uh, But I know you're in for a treat. Spencer is an amazing preacher, and he's a great friend, and uh, he's my brother in Christ. I'm so thankful for him and Dr. Marr. He's going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58 today. So I'm going to read the text, and then I'll pray for Spencer and pray for us. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us celebrate um, a, a mighty man of God is what I would call Dr. Marr, and I would call that of Spencer as well. We're so thankful for their ministries. We're so thankful for uh, their impact on everybody they've come in contact with. Um, their Christianity and their faith in Jesus just trickles out and branches out to everybody they meet, not just through their teaching, but their living. And it shows in their families, it shows in the disciples they've made, and it shows when they meet complete strangers. Lord, I pray that you bless this time. I pray that, you'll, uh, God, you speak through Spencer as he talks to us. And I ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think I'm supposed to say thank you for that gracious introduction. Thank you, Jonathan. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we're gonna be looking at 50 through 58 today. And then as you're turning here, let me just say what a joy it is to be back at Southcliff. Um, I served here for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. I was ordained to gospel ministry in this room. I was married in this room. I uh, brought my two boys when they were first born and their first church experience with Southcliff. And I am who I am today as a pastor because of Southcliff and specifically Carol Marr and his willingness to empower me and encourage me as a young man in the ministry. And I just wanna say how thankful I am. And church, I think it's appropriate if we just stopped right now and expressed our thanks to Carol for 25 years of incredible service. Can we thank him for that incredible service? I know you'll take time today to express your thanks to him uh, as we just did, but please continue to do that. You are blessed as a church to have such a faithful pastor for 25 years, love you, teach God's word and shepherd you. My task this morning is to both celebrate Carol and challenge you from God's word. And as I've mulled over that task these few months, with the word or the theme that's kind of come to my mind that I wanna put before you is the theme of perseverance and endurance. I think what Carol models for us and that should be commended to us is persevering strength and endurance. If I were to use a more popular term, I would use the word grit. A few years ago, Hollywood redid a movie called True Grit. How many of you have seen True Grit. Oh, we gotta get more hands up, Carol. We gotta work on this. True Grit, great film about this young girl having an indomitable spirit to seek justice for her family. She keeps going despite challenges and problems that emerge and she will not be deterred. When I think about Carol, I don't think it's about True Grit. I think about Gracious Grit. I think about a grit empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ to continue to keep going. And so I've entitled this message this morning, Gracious Grit, because I think 1 Corinthians 15 shows us that. And I think Carol has beautifully demonstrated that quality over these last 25 years. The reason I want you to listen this morning as we talk about this from this text is simply this. Living in a hostile world to Christ 
requires strength from Christ. If you're going to use Southcliffe language, thrive in a world hostile to the gospel, you are going to need strength from Christ to endure and grow and thrive. This passage encourages us to reflect on the fact that we are called to be immovable, steadfast. We're called to persevere. But I just wanna put it on the table as we start. It's hard to live the Christian life in this world today. You are living first in a world that the current is anti-Christ. It encourages and celebrates rebellion against God and his design. You're living in a world where there's an enemy that wants to distract and divide and destroy. And you are living in a world in which you, even you Christian, have a sinful set of desires that often wants to pull you away from Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil are real and at work in this world today. And because that's the case, church, we need the kind of persevering strength, the kind of gracious grit. I believe Carol Mars exemplified in his ministry these 25 years. So what I wanna do this morning is simply this. I wanna do two things. I wanna show you what gracious grit is from this text, and I wanna show you how you get it. So if you're taking notes or typing these down, you can write this first question down. What is gracious grit? We're gonna start at the end of this text and then work our way backwards from there. Look at verse 58 to see how he describes what I'm calling gracious grit. Verse 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. First thing I want you to notice in this text are the qualities of gracious grit. He talks about being steadfast and immovable. These words speak to a resolve, an inner strength of character that continues to move forward even when things are difficult. It speaks to, on the one hand, a perseverance to endure, to keep going. It also speaks to a resiliency that when you get knocked down, you get back up. One of my favorite movies, Jonathan mentioned movies, are the Rocky movies. Rocky Balboa, this boxer, is not the smartest, to be sure. He's not the strongest or the fastest, but he is tough and indomitable in his spirit and that when he gets knocked down, he always gets back up. I believe what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is encouraging us to live out is a kind of resiliency, a kind of strength of character that keeps going even when things are difficult. But this passage doesn't just describe the qualities of gracious grit. It also describes an activity. Did you see it there in the text? He says, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Now, in this passage, it talks about the Lord's work. In a general sense, all of us are called to the Lord's work of being an ambassador for Christ. We are called to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. Every Christian is called to that. But I think the Lord's work also includes the reality of your particular calling and vocation as a Christian. It is wrong for you to think that only Carol and I are called by God to serve God. Every Christian in their nine to five job, whatever their work is that they're engaging in, is to be done as a calling unto the Lord. If you're a student, you're to do that unto the Lord. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're to do that unto the Lord. 
If you're a business owner, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, doesn't matter what you're doing, you're to do that unto the Lord. But the key word here is the word excelling. This means to grow and to improve in the calling that God has given you. I believe what you and I are called to is a kind of continuous improvement in the calling God's given us. Jonathan mentioned my family. They're over here. My two boys uh, run and swim, respectively, my oldest and middle child. And one of the conversations we have regularly about their running and swimming is not them being the fastest on the team. Our encouragement to our sons is, are you faster today than you were back in January? Could October, Seth, run faster than January, Seth? Could October, Noah, swim faster than January, Noah? Is there a continuous improvement in my life that I'm stewarding what God's entrusted to me for his glory? Please notice the difference between continuous improvement and comparison. Let me warn you, Christian, comparison is deadly to your soul. There is nothing that will rob your joy in life like comparing yourself to other people. And in a day in which social media makes comparison really easy to do, it's a danger we need to watch. Don't let someone's pretend projected life steal the joy you have in the real life God's given you. This passage says that gracious grit is a character quality of toughness, of strength, but it's also a a straining forward, a working hard to what God's called us to. This is why later he'll say that we're to labor in the Lord. It's hard work. This this passage also talks about the source. Doesn't just talk about the qualities of grit. Doesn't just talk about the activity. It talks about the source of it. Look at the rest of the text in verse 58. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now that phrase, in the Lord, is an important phrase in your Bible you wanna highlight. Because what it's talking about is the theological concept of union with Christ. Please remember, you are saved not because you take a salvation pill or drink a salvation antidote. You are saved by faith in Christ through a life-giving connection to you and Jesus by which you receive forgiveness, he trades with you, he takes your sin, you by faith get his righteousness, but also your union with Christ includes participation in the power of Jesus. Ephesians 2 would go so far as to say, you've been made alive, raised, and seated with Christ. Here's what that means, Christian. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in you. Here's the point. Gracious grit is not something that comes from within you. It comes from reliance on the power of Christ. Deep dependence and trust on the power of Jesus in your life. It's how you marshal and cultivate this kind of strength that we're called to. One of the ways I try to help my people in Mansfield distinguish the Christian life from self-sufficiency to dependence on Christ is the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. A rowboat is powered by you, right? Moving the oars. A sailboat, on the other hand, is powered by a source of power that you're called to harness. Now, please be careful. In a sailboat, especially those racing sailboats, if you've ever seen those, those people are not inactive. There's activity, but that activity is around the source of power. In the same way, the Christian life is not laziness or inactivity. It's activity around the source of power. The way you live out a gracious grit 
is by tapping into the source of power that is the word of God and the spirit of God working in the people of God. The source is not your strength or mine, it's Christ's strength. But finally in this text, we also see a promise. There's the qualities, there's the activity, there's the source, but there's a promise. Look back at your Bibles. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is, circle this, not in vain. That word vain means empty, meaningless, or worthless. You see, when you do your work, when you live your calling, not out of comparison, but in the power of Christ, when you faithfully steward what God's entrusted you for his glory, you and I will always hear in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. What Carol Marr has exemplified and demonstrated for you these last 25 years is a kind of strength a kind of endurance empowered by Christ, but done unto him for his glory. And because of that, I believe Carol Marr is going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If I were to principalize this just in a statement, here it is. Gracious grit is persevering strength from and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're gonna even put this on the screen. Gracious grit, if you're taking notes, you can write it down, is persevering strength from Jesus but it's a strength that's meant to be marshaled for the glory of God. The reason this is so important for your life is I mentioned the demands of life earlier. The demands of life are such that you are going to look for some source of strength someplace. And the danger in misunderstanding who you are in Christ is that you and I will look for strength someplace else. Living in a cultural moment where we are encouraged every single moment of every single day that we have what it takes to, to, challenge, to meet the challenges of life. That if we just look within our hearts and believe in ourselves, we can deal with anything. Well, let me give you some good news this morning. You are not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes on your own, but Christ does. And what this passage is calling us to see is that it's not in self-reliance that I find the strength that I need to keep going. It is in Christ's reliance, reliance on him that I find this great strength. You know, I call to recognize that if we don't find our strength in Christ, life will either overwhelm us or embitter us. You know, what I see in a lot of younger people is the growing rates of anxiety and depression that are just crushing people today. As a pastor, my heart breaks, especially for the younger people in our congregation that are struggling with that. One of the, things, the reasons I think a generation of people is struggling with anxiety in unprecedented levels is because we have saddled a generation of people with questions they should not have to wrestle. A 14-year-old girl should not have to wrestle with their gender, sexuality, and destiny as a human being. Previous generations, those questions were settled. We've now saddled them and then handed them a glowing rectangle that allows them to compare themselves to every other person on the planet. No wonder people are anxious. No wonder people are discouraged because we're telling them that reliance on self is the answer and it's not. So, so if I look to myself, I'm either overwhelmed, I'm either anxious and constantly worried, constantly fearful, constantly concerned I don't measure up or I'm embittered. I become cynical and angry, sarcastic. The pressures of life turn me into a shell of a person in which I'm just constantly angry at all the ways the world has wronged me. No, Christian, we are called to a kind of gracious grit that's empowered by and for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and what you have before you is a beautiful example of that in Carol's life. Do you have that kind of gracious grit, persevering strength in your life? This passage, I believe, answers the second question, and that is how do we acquire it? If what gracious grit is, is persevering strength from and for the Lord Jesus, how do we get it? Well, verses 50 through 57, I believe, give us the picture of how we receive gracious grit. It's the logical outworking that Paul gets us to in 58. 50 through 57 lays the groundwork for the command he makes in 58. Now, 50 through 57 is a larger portion of scripture about the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the resurrection and return, let's just review the ministry of Jesus Christ. There are seven features to the ministry of Jesus. Just gonna review them real quick to give us context. Number one is the incarnation. Jesus, fully God, took on human flesh. Two natures, one person, fully God, fully man. Two natures, one person is Jesus. Jesus, in taking on human flesh, steps into our problem, but secondly, lives a perfect life. There's the incarnation, but secondly, his perfect life. Jesus, while he takes on human flesh, never sins once, perfectly obeys the Father, and perfectly keeps the law that you and I could not keep on our own. Thirdly, Jesus dies as an innocent, willing substitute in our place. The death of Jesus, we see him offering his life as a sacrifice. He takes your place, takes your punishment and penalty on himself and dies for us on the cross. Number four, the resurrection. Jesus doesn't just take your penalty, he defeats your penalty. He rises from the dead to say, if you turn from your sin and trust him, you can be forgiven. That's the resurrection. But then there's the ascension of Christ. That's when he goes back into heaven. He ascends, and this is where Philippians 2 comes into play. God gives him the name that's above every name, his exaltation, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That's the ascension. Number six, intercession of Jesus. What does Jesus do when he gets to heaven? He sits down at the right hand of the Father. When you're praying a few moments ago and bringing these requests, you are entering into the intercessory work of Jesus, your high priest. We boldly enter God's presence, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. That's the sixth. But seventh and finally is the return of Jesus. This is when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead and to establish his rule and reign forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57 is unpacking what's gonna happen at the return of Christ. Paul talks about this return by encouraging us to have confidence in two dimensions, two features of Christ's return. The first is that he calls us to have confidence in our future with Jesus. He encourages us to have confidence in our individual future with Jesus. Look at what he talks about in verse 50. He says, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Paul is saying that there is a problem of incompatibility between sinful humanity and eternal life. Sin has so twisted and warped us, we on our own cannot live in God's presence forever. You've ever been to Europe and you try to plug an American plug into a European outlet, it does not work, right? There's an incompatibility issue between that plug and that outlet. 
what Paul's describing in verse 50 is a spiritual incompatibility issue between us and God. We cannot live in his presence forever because of our sinfulness. So what's God's solution? Look at verse 51. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Circle that word, changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be, there it is again, changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Paul says that the return of Jesus is going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet and at that return, we will be transformed. The word change here means that we are transformed. So remember the problem of spiritual incompatibility, he's dealing with that. We as sinful human beings cannot inherit eternal life. We can't live with God forever on this new heavens and new earth. So what's God gonna do? He's going to give us a new body, he tells us in verse 53. We're no longer in a corruptible body. We're in an incorruptible state. We're no longer mortal and our bodies break down. In this new heavens and new earth, we're given a new body that never is subject to decay and death. The resurrected Jesus ensures that in the end, you and I will live with God forever with a new body that will never break down or be subject to death and decay. So, so on the one hand, Paul's saying, look, I want you to have confidence in your future with Jesus. But the second thing he tells us in 54 through 57 is confidence in the world's future with Jesus. He zooms out, not just from our individual lives, but talking about the world and how it's gonna function when Christ returns. Look at verse 54. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul turns his attention to saying that when Christ returns, when we're transformed, there's a larger work that God's gonna do in dealing with death itself. Oftentimes when we think about death, we usually think about our heart stopping and brain activity ceasing and kind of an ending of life in this world. But most of the time, and I think it's the case here, when death is described in the New Testament, it's described as a power or a force that opposes us. What Paul tells us in verse 56 then is that there's a power that death keeps us under. Look at what he said, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We're under the power, the tyranny of death, because we sin, we disobey God, we rebel. As a result of that, we're under the law and that we've broken God's commands and we are standing under his judgment. All of us are in this position. It's like Paul's telling us that death is this opponent we cannot defeat. You ever seen this in sports where there's just a a team that you just can't seem to beat? I'm afraid our Rangers are just not gonna be able to beat the Astros, right? Doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter how hard we try, it just seems like they've got our number. What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is that death has our number. We can't beat it. There's nothing we can do to overcome it. Paul tells us this is why the Old Testament promised that one day death would be swallowed up, that is obliterated, that death would be rendered powerless. Because while you and I can't take on the opponent of death, Christ Jesus can. 
in his return, he's going to destroy the power and the tyranny of death forever. And not only will we live in a world with new bodies before the Lord, we're gonna live in a world where death will no longer be present. This is why he erupts in Thanksgiving in verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was promised in Isaiah and Hosea that's mentioned in 55 has been, is going to be fulfilled one day in Jesus Christ. Christian, be confident, confident in the future Christ has promised you because the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is going to make everything right in the end. What Paul is encouraging in these verses, I believe, is the Christian virtue of hope. He's encouraging you and I to be people of hope. Now, when we think about hope, it's not the way a lot of us think about hope today. I hope my team wins or I hope this thing happens. No, biblical hope is a confident expectation in the goodness of the future in Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that what Christ has promised is going to come to pass and that when it comes to pass, everything's gonna be made right. I will never forget, Carol, when your father passed away, I mentioned this in the first service, and there was a group of us that got in those vans out in the parking lot and we drove to Louisiana to be there with you. And as a young preacher, I remember watching Carol just feel the weight of his father's passing just the emotions of it, just the moment that was there before him. And it was important to me because I didn't know this, but years later, 18 months ago, my father passed away. Unlike Carol, I was standing before my father's casket talking about him. But what struck me about Carol in that moment was the absolute confidence and surety he had in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I remember the, the pathos, the ethos with which he spoke in that moment about it, not just his father, but his confidence that he was gonna see his dad again because Christ Jesus has overcome. And that struck me even years later when I was before my father's casket speaking. What you've got in front of you, church family, is an example, not just of persevering strength and gracious grit. You have somebody in Carol who really believes the things that he's preaching, who believes that Jesus really is coming back and because he's coming back, everything is gonna be all right. When you put this together, the flow of Paul's argument is simply this. Rest your hope in Christ Jesus. A hope in Christ Jesus in the future is meant to give you strength in the present. If I were to give it to you in a principle, here it is just in a statement. This entire passage in one statement. Hope in Christ cultivates grit from Christ. Hope in Christ Jesus Fixing your hope for fulfillment on Christ is how you grow and cultivate a perseverance in Christ Jesus. Some of you are going through incredibly challenging things right now. It's physical challenges. Some of us are going through financial challenges. Some of us are dealing with relational problems in our families. Some of us are just more acutely aware of and overwhelmed by things going on in the world. You know what I found? If I hold a quarter close enough to my eye, I can blot out the sun. You ever tried that? Just take a quarter, you put it close enough to your eye, you can blot out the sun. Let me ask you a question. Is a quarter bigger than the sun? No, it's not. 
But can it feel that way in the moment? Yes, it can. My fear and my concern is that in us not remembering the future we have in the Christ, we're holding our finances, we're holding our challenges as parents, we're holding our challenges in our workplace so close to our eyes that we're missing what God has promised us. Be careful, Christian, about losing perspective. Be careful, Christian, about losing the promise of your future with Jesus. Let it give you perspective and strength as you go through the trials and tribulations of this life. Place your hope in Christ, in Christ alone. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that this passage challenges you as well. Most of my comments this morning have been for Christians, but if you're not a Christian, and I do not assume everyone in here is, please hear me. There is coming a day when you will stand before Jesus and you will trust one of two things. You will either trust yourself, your goodness, your righteousness, your works, or you will trust Christ. The only way we stand before God made right is if we're trusting in Christ and Christ alone. If you heard it in, you're not a Christian. The way you become a Christian is by turning from your sin and trusting that Jesus died in your place and rose from the dead. Here's the good news. If you're not a Christian and you turn from your sin and trust Christ, not only will Christ give you this kind of persevering strength and present now, he also promises you eternal life in the future with him forever. If you're not a Christian, I'll be down front after the service is over. I love an opportunity to pray with you, talk with you. I know Carol, other ministers will be here. We love an opportunity to share with you about how you can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and enjoy the kind of hope and peace that this promise provides. But as I close this morning, I do wanna turn back to those of you that are Christians and just read something over you as I close this message out. This passage has called us, I believe rightly, to place our hope in Christ and Christ alone in the future. And in so doing, it gives us strength to keep going in the present. So as I close, I wanna read Revelation 21, a few of these verses over you, as you hear, Christian, what's promised to you. Listen to what John says when he saw these beautiful images in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Listen to this, Christian. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my child. Christian, this is your future. Place your hope in Christ and let that well up within you a persevering, gracious grit from Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I am so very thankful that we don't have to hold these quarters up to our eyes 
that we don't have to hope in the next thing to fulfill us. That in you, Jesus, we have true, real hope. God, I pray for Christians in this room today that are hurting and discouraged. God, I pray that the promise of their future, that you'd lift their heads, that you'd encourage their soul, that what they're going through now will not last forever. I pray for non-Christians, people that do not know you in this room, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd open the eyes of the blind, that they would see the beauty of who you are, and they would turn from their sin and trust you. God, thank you for Carol. Thank you for his life and the example he sets to me and to this congregation. I pray that we would use today, not just to celebrate him, but to be challenged from your word about what it means to persevere. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Plumley. As today was being planned, we knew that our pastor would want it to be more about the Lord he serves than about him. And Dr. Spencer, you have done a great job in keeping us focused today and focused on the scripture. Thank you for the word today. But now is our time to honor Dr. Marr and his family. Dr. Marr and Tanya, if you'll come up. Um, I think I saw Daniel have to slip out. The first step is his three sons have been able to be with them today. Michael, Daniel, who went out, and John and their spouses, y'all stand for just a moment and let us greet you. And kids, yeah. I'm sorry, Daniel went out. We'll catch Daniel if he comes back in. Thank y'all for being here today. Carol and Tanya, move on over to the middle here. It's my honor, on behalf of Southcliff Carol, to present you with this memento of today. This is a compass. It's got today's date in your name and your life verse inscribed inside. I will carefully attend to the blameless way, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Psalm 101.2. That out and done those parts of that verse. That's no better. Each time you look at that, we hope that that will just remind you of the love we have for you and your family and the love that we feel from you as our pastor for 25 years. Let's thank him. And we know that you join us. Uh, Southcliff has a monetary gift for you to celebrate, and I was told that we just give this directly to Tanya. So, that. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel's come back in with his family, so they're all standing. So, Daniel, thank you for being a part of today, too. Dr. Marr, your words. Uh, Christina, Daniel's wife, is not with us because I have one little grandson, Levi, that's sick, woke up sick this morning, so she wasn't able to be here. Um, goodness, what do you say uh, other than thank you? Um, and that it has been an absolute honor to serve as your pastor. I mean that. I am so grateful every day that I get to be your pastor. Um, that has been such a privilege. And you know what I've discovered? 25 years means that we're family. As we heard earlier, so many of these guys and girls weren't even born when I came here. And bless your heart, I'm the only pastor you've ever known. Um, and, uh, and it's just been my honor to see you born and, and grow and pray for you at, at each one of those stages. 
One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to stand with family members when, when our loved ones die and go to heaven. And um, I tell you, after 25 years, there are so many times when I stand before you that I think to myself, I don't need to be standing up here. I need to be seated with the family because I feel like I'm family. And I thank you for loving us for 25 years. You have loved us. Nobody could love a pastor more than we've been loved here. And we're so grateful for that. And I thank you. And I also want to say thank you to my family who have been so faithful to stand with us. We've seen God do amazing things. And I'm grateful. The hardest task of being a pastor is to be a pastor's wife. And Tanya has faithfully stood many times behind the scenes, quietly, prayerfully, being the support that I've needed. And I'm so grateful that God gave her to me. So thank you for the privilege that I have had to be your pastor. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. I mentioned your first 25 years. Some in the first service have already calculated. You shared with us your birthday last couple of weeks. They've already calculated 25 more years. You're just 90. You can still be pastoring at 90. So this was your first 25 years. Will you join me as we pray for them? Father, it's your love for us, and we thank you that you loved us first. And through that love that we've been able to love on Carol and Tanya, but Father, that you provided them for our pastor for this 25 years to love on us, and we thank you for that, for the joys and the hardships and how through it all, he's pointed us to you. And we pray for the days ahead in your name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.